Welcome to the Rugby League Euro podcast. Hello and welcome to episode three of season two of the Rugby League Euro podcast. My name's Lee Addison and I'm here with my loyal, trusted sidekick. People keep thinking I'm saying, I'm saying sidekick, Carlo. Have you got any sidekick skills? But I'm actually saying sidekick, but have you got any sidekick skills? To be honest, if we're talking about Batman and Robin, I'm definitely Batman, Lee. <laughs> I said sidekick skills, so who's going to win the Super League? That starts this weekend. Oh, jeez. There's a box of butts, nuts and bolts, isn't it, really? Well, Who there's knows? only been four teams won it so far. St. Helens, Wigan... Leeds and Bradford. So if I was a betting man and a psychic, I would go for one of them four. And we yeah. also have Dean Buchan, the head of Spanish Rugby League with us. How are you, Dean? And how's your weather? I'm good. Well, I'm actually in England now. So uh, oh, the weather is drizzly and grey. Are you in quarantine? No, I've done my quarantine. I'm all, I'm free. <laughs> I'm free well, if you're... Be. If you are in quarantine and you want to write to us, write to us at the RLE podcast on Twitter, the RLE podcast on Instagram, or the Rugby League Europe podcast on Facebook. And we've got a bit of a, a French theme, we, 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 and also an expansion theme. What's expansion in French? Expansion. Anyone? Uh, I, have, I have no clue. <laughs> um, all right. Well, there's a... There's a few positive noises coming out in France, which I think we all like to jump on because uh, anybody who knows anything about the history of French Rugby League knows it's been checkered, is probably a nice way of putting it. Um, it was thriving as a sport, and then during World War II, the Vichy government took all its resources away. Um, it sort of regrew again after that. and But to put their ups and downs in some kind of context... France last beat Australia in a test series and in a test match the day before I was born, and I'm 42 years of age. And they last beat a big test nation by big test nation, I mean Great Britain, New Zealand, Australia, in 1990. They beat Great Britain in 1990. But the new French president, Luc Lacoste, has come out all guns blazing in different media outlets. He's talking about plans to expand the elite championship to 12 teams. Um, things seem to be growing a little bit commercially. Um, also, championship matches are being streamed on YouTube and Facebook. Um, I'll throw it over to you, Carlo, first. Your experience of France and French rugby league, yeah. do you remember or are you aware of any French teams from out? Sorry, any teams from outside of France being in the French competition before? Um, the, the only one that I can remember was I know that we had an Italian team in the uh, I think it's the the provincial League Two. So League Two. Um, in France, is, is was done by conferences, hmm. uh, and I know that post uh, the World Cup in two thirteen, it was a part of the development plan to to get a, a team into that French okay. kind of um, development. But again, it, uh, I don't think it went too well. I, I, again, we I don't think 
the long-term plan was put, uh, was written or, or, or even executed very well. And that was a bit of a leading question because I'm now going to throw it over to Dean and I want to put him on the spot because in this article that I read on the internet, there was a report linking your Spanish side, Valencia Huracanes, with an interest in joining the league. So when's your first fixture, Dean? <laughs> um, well... I mean, it was a surprise to me, to be honest with you, mate. Um, I've not... Oh. Uh, Valencia Huracanes has never made any form of serious inquiry to go into a, a French league. Um, and, and the reason is simple. Uh, the French league is not commercialised properly. So it would be it would be less sustainable to put a, a Spanish team in the French league that gets very, very low crowd. We're talking, I think, Elite One. Um, somebody will jump on me here, but I think it's around an average crowd of about 200. Um, we get more than that in Spain already. So it's just not a sustainable model to put a Spanish team in the French league in its current guise. Um, if they develop things, then we can look at it, but it's not something we've looked at up until this point. Uh, I'm going to go back to France in a minute. Because this question, this next question to you, Dean, I'm going to keep it on you, is also linked to a, a, a well-trodden path by French clubs too. Would Valencia go into League One in the UK rather than the French League? Well, we did. Well, we, we made an application, didn't we? Everybody knows that Valencia Huracanes was, um, was talking to the RFL. Uh, it's no secret. I think the RFL confirmed all of that. So when's your um, first fixture? <laughs> Same question. <laughs> Bloody hell. Um, I'm going to start calling you Piers Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, the simple problem is, is what is the future of League One? And this is where Valencia Huracanis came to. So during the process with the RFL, um, you know, we engaged with the RFL for, you know, a pretty decent length of time. Mm. And the fundamental question we kept asking was, what does League One look like in 22, 23 25, 26. Mm. Valencia model was not to uh, wham-bam Super League. It was to grow, and that meant that we might have to spend a number of years in League One as we develop Spanish players and talent. And then, you know, our, our business model needed us to get to championship within about five five years. Yeah. But if you can't go into a league, and this is probably what Carla was saying earlier, you can't just go into a league that exists now. You need to know what that league looks like in two, three, five, ten years. And to be honest with you, the RFL just could not answer that simplest of questions. You know, what's happening with central distribution? Uh, because we understand the TV deals down. Where does League One stand? Uh, what happens if New York don't go in? What happens if Ottawa don't go in? Um, and we essentially walked away from the RFL because... You can't commit monies to a project based on we'll let you know in a bit in a bit of time. You know what? You're absolutely at the nail on the head there. It's like you're walking with a blindfold on and asking everyone where you're going. You know, it's uh, it, you. Ju it's just it's not attainable from a business point of view. Like we we everyone knows that that rugby league business is like uh, snooker or pool. You have got to be two shots ahead every time, mm. and if you can't do that, then you, you know, you're asking, like, I think it's a, it's a cracking result if uh, Valencia Huracanes goes, uh, you know, expands. But not only just for the game saying it's expanding, but imagine what it will do for the game in Spain. It would be amazing. 
So I think, um, listen, I, I, I don't, I don't doubt that the, the right decision was made, Dean, because without without that, you, you, you're walking in the dark. Boys, but you know, we... the, 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 one secondly, the decision can change at any time. So you know, that article you're talking about with Luke Lacoste, obviously, he's outlining some big plans. If if they achieve that, then the French leagues and the elite structure could become appealing. If have they got have they got money, Dean? No, have the French rugby league got money? Uh, from what I understand, most of the money comes from the, the local governments to support the teams. Um, and I think Luke Lacoste referred to it is that they need to commercialise their league. Um, and and, and this, is a, this is actually quite an important point for any expansion club. You can't just go into a league because you want to go in and you've got a few quid. You need to show um, that you're going to have stakeholders in the game. The stakeholders are your fans because that's what makes you sustainable. If you're not going to have fans in the stadium, if you're not going to have um, people buying shirts and, and commercial partners coming on sponsoring you, you're going to always go the way of the previous expansion failures. Um, yeah. And that should be the first thing that any expansion club has to be able to demonstrate. Where are your fans going to come from? Yeah, yeah, where are your players going to come from? Where's well, your player not, not, not only that, though, Dean... Fans lead to participation, yeah. So, yeah. what's your participation route? What is there's no point, like we said, and I think we mentioned it on on this program before. But Toronto, for existence, right? It was great that they had um, something like 10,000, 15,000 people going to the game. But at the end of the day, that's great that they got to watch the game. How how is that being translated into participation numbers? for us to grow the game in a participation sport. Now, any expansion club needs that cluster, needs the development pathway, needs all the representative football. They need the backing of, of an affiliation before they even start looking down. And that should be a part of the expansion licence, in my, in my humble opinion. Boys, I just want to unpack this expansion argument a little bit more. And if you like, put yourselves in the positions of, of being a team in France or somewhere that might want to get into League One or wherever it may be. Carlo, I'll go over to you. because And if you call me Piers Morgan, that makes you my Susanna Reid. So, Susanna, oh, why, would a, why would a French club want to go into League One when it seems that some of the French clubs, particularly near the top of the competition, are probably better off financially than some of the League One clubs? Why would that be a a pathway that they'd pursue you There must be bigger costs associated with that too. Yeah, well, again, what Dean said is right. You know, com- what is the commercial opportunity? I think that's that's always, from a business perspective, that's always going to be your first thought. Uh, mm. I think uh, second, the, the second part of it, will, will it give new opportunities, you know, to, to either the club, uh, the, the participation in and around it, representation, you know. Um, but again, the, the other one is that it's a France, you know, French always want to succeed in England. Yeah, it's mm. the challenge that they always want. So I think no matter what sport you play, I think there's a, there's a bit of a bravado opportunity there as well. Dean, can I go back to you now and let's critique, if you like, some of the lower league expansion clubs. I'm talking about the likes of Commentary, Hemel, the Welsh clubs that have been in the lower leagues. How successful do you think that has been? And do you think that 
more can be done or they're doing enough. What's your opinion on all that? It did, look, what we've got used to is we've got used to expansion at clubs coming in and wanting to get to Super League, and that's great. So if you look at mm. a, a Catalan, a Toulouse, an Ottawa, that was their plan. Therefore, they're coming with big budgets. Um, I wrote a piece last month talking about whether you've got a club like that doesn't make any sense in going in League One. But to come mm. to your other question, you know, did Coventry ever say they were going to get to Super League? I don't think they ever did. Now, if you take Coventry as an example, it was a natural progression of them to go into League One because they basically won everything they possibly could at the amateur game. It was mm. sustained development and progress over mm-hmm. decades. Um, was that the same for some of the other clubs that came in? You know, uh, Gloucester Old Golds, for example, Oxford. Not really. Um, and 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 I think that's why Coventry are still there. And okay, they're not setting any records because they're not trying. Their their business model or their club model is not Super League, and that's fine. Whereas the others have gone by the way state. Hemel Hempstead obviously left. Gloucester mm. left. Oxford left. Uh, mm. There was going to be a Gloucester-Oxford merger. Didn't happen. Now Gloucester might be called Bristol. It's all a bit confusing. <laughs> when I, when I, I've, I'm I've got, sorry, Lee, sorry, Lee. I've got a question for, for both of you, actually. Mm. Do, do, do mergers work? Like We always hear the word merger, and I just don't ever, ever think I've ever seen one succeed. Can I answer that first? Can I answer that first? I think it's a horses for courses thing. I think it depends on the history of the clubs in question. Now, Gateshead and Hull merging, for example, there was only ever going to be one winner out of that, and it was going to be Hull. Strong brand name, years of history. Uh, Um. Particularly in Australia, there seems to be even 15, 20 years on from the merger, there still seems to be that separation of I'm a West fan, I'm a Balmain fan in some cases. There's some Balmain people who've never been to a game at Campbelltown and there's some West people who've never been to a game at Balmain, for example. And I think as long as there's a long history in one of the clubs, it can be very hard for the merger to be accepted until years and years down the line. Because if you think about the case of somebody like the West Tigers, there'll be kids who've grown up knowing nothing different. Dean, what's your thoughts? It depends why you're trying to merge. So, you know, in business, mergers work because obviously it's about, you know, getting rights to intellectual property, increasing market share, whatever. But you're right, you know, sport is a religion. And, if, you know, when well, you tribal, you're, you're, dealing, you're dealing with a commercial, you're dealing with a commercial company uh, and then you know, obviously, you're looking at a tribal like a, like an army, um, yeah. in respect to you know that's why it doesn't work. I, and I, I was just I was thinking about this this morning and today because we knew we were talking about expansion. And I'm just going, you know, from a merger point of view, I I, I just uh, all right. West Tigers won the comp right uh, back in 2006, I think it was, but very rarely has it has it has it been sustained. And I think. Um, like I look at, I live in Wollongong, and I see this massive community here, and it's and it should have a team like the Illawarra Steelers, and it doesn't. Yeah, you no, should. It's, it's madness. But but yeah, it's madness. Let me just add, you know, let's take a perfect example because the only the only merger I can see of those clubs that went in was Gloucester Oxford. So I don't know if you remember, 
Gloucester and Oxford both vacated the league uh, with RFL support because they were going to, uh, and Ralph Rill at the time was making a statement that they were going to merge and form a club in Bristol. Um, now, that didn't make any sense because Bristol to Oxford is like two hours. Um, so their fans weren't going to move over to Bristol. But then again, how many fans did they have? They're relatively uh, low-supported you know, low clubs. Those clubs were then going to re the league in 2019, and the RFL said they had made a space available for Bristol. Well, those clubs never actually merged, and that club never entered in 2019. Mm. Um, however, what happened... Prior to all goals moving down to Bristol last year, there was a club there, a club called Bristol Sonics, a really nice community club that had the first team juniors, and that doesn't exist now. No so the way. Merger, they're gone. They're gone. So basically, the merger of Oxford and Gloucester, not only did they take two teams out of League One and they didn't return, it then killed a community club or let's be honest, they might not have been wholly responsible, but announcing that a, a, a League One team is going to enter from Bristol and six months later that community club dies, that doesn't sound like a coincidence to me. No. Um, so, so to answer the question, mergers often do not work in sports. Dean, um, back to the issue of expansion, right? When I left England in 2007 to live in Australia, um, I left an England rugby league scene where I thought that the South was only going to grow. It was going to grow in terms of participation. It was going to grow in terms of fans and fan base. I had memories of the successful summer conference in the early 2000s. You're involved with a club down there in Bristol and by... By virtue, that means you'll have some knowledge of what's going on there. Does has the game got more of a duty to promote what's going on in the south of England as opposed to trying to get teams from France to come into the English Super League? Well, first of all, it's Bath. And that's really important because Bath Bristol is a big rivalry, <laughs> so it's Bath Rugby League that I've got an interest in. Um, <laughs> look, the sport could be massive down here. Rugby league could be massive. You know, this is rugby stronghold. You think of all the famous rugby names, you know, and just put allegiances aside, whether you're rugby or rugby league. You know, you're talking about your Bristol, your Worcesters, your Leicesters, your Northamptons, your Exeter. Mm. These are massive, massive clubs. And even at the community level, you will often have a small town rugby club that has upwards of a 1,000 juniors in its ranks. I don't know any rugby league club in England that has a 1,000 juniors, uh, probably bar Newcastle, uh, which has a really, really good system. So the potential is... Can I... Can I... I would have thought some teams Sorry, in Wigan I, would have big something? numbers, actually. Go on, yeah, Carlo. Yeah, Wigan would, sometimes. No, I, 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 funny you might say that. And you know, I, and what Lee said as well. Are we looking outside when we should be looking inside? You know, I think you know, we. I look at some of the names that we banded around already with Ottawa. You know, uh, Toulouse, um, uh, Toronto, and I go, well, wait a minute. We shouldn't have even been looking outside until we got our own house in order. 
I just and like you say, we're very insular up the north with rugby league. But like you say, there is plenty of opportunity in the south. Why are we not concentrating on that before we go outside our own uh, outside of England? No, I agree. Uh, I agree with you, Carlo. I mean, like I said, not only do you have that rugby is really big down certainly in the southwest. Name me massive, any massive football team that you're competing with around here. The biggest football team is Bristol City in the Championship. Yeah, yeah, and you're apart right. from Reading, um, getting into the you know, Yo-Yo Premiership Championship, um, you're not competing with football. Um, kids grow up with a rugby ball in their hand. Yeah. Rugby is the biggest sport down here. So the potential is massive. But to actually answer your question, Lee, the issue is not of, oh, can we just go down south and, and say there's a club, we'll start there. Um, because it's a twofold way. You've got to have a sensible, sustainable business plan. And I always come back to this point, how are you going to build your fan base? How are you going to grow your fan base and your academy system and, and your player pools and your commercial agreement? It's all of that. Now, the RFL can't control that for a club. The club's got to come with a sensible plan. But then the RFL needs to ask the question before somebody goes in. Um, well, there's a lot. There's a lot of money involved in in getting into primary schools free of charge, and it starts from that position, doesn't it? Really, it does. I mean, we're, look, I'm already uh, in Bath Road and starting to speak to schools. Really open, responsive um, from from a lot of schools. There isn't this rugby union, rugby league wall that often people think there is because to be honest with you, rugby league's not a threat down here. No. Rugby union is, is huge. Yeah. There's a lot of money going around with rugby union. Um but yeah, the, absolutely the South, you know, you would say you've got to conquer your own country before you start looking at others. Um you know yeah. you've I agree. Sense I totally agree. Well gents I find this conversation really interesting because Super League is due to start again record and I think all eyes will be on Lee Centurions because they're the team that replaced an expansion team, Toronto <laughs> and if you look at every Super League expansion team in the past, you could argue we've not been very good at it and I consider Paris Saint-Germain remember the Crusaders were the Celtic Crusaders originally, Toronto oh, yeah. also fallen by the wayside um, and Gateshead Thunder were a Super League side and now they're in the low divisions. And let's not forget the amount of times that London have been reincarnated, given a different name, given a different kit, given a different ground. I'd say we've made a pig's ear of that, if I'm honest. The, the irony of all this, and it's a great way of linking all our conversations today together, is that probably the most successful expansion team in the Super League era has been the Catalans, and they're also a merged club. <laughs> People forget that. They used to be Trey Catalan and Santa Stev. And they and they combined to become Union Tres East Catalan. They then played in the Rugby League Championship for a few years and were very successful. And when they had when they applied to join the Super League in 2006, they were picked ahead of Toulouse and Villeneuve. So they've been, you could argue they've been quite successful. Uh, the reason I say that is for no other reason than the fact they are still here. They've played in a few 
uh, final series in Super League. They've played in Challenge Cup finals. They're due to be 20 years old in 2026. But there was some... so, And I've got no doubt they'll reach that milestone. And, and that's quite a big thing to say in Rugby League, I think. The other thing is, there's been some threads that have gone through that over time. There was a target at one point. I don't know if they stuck to this, but they wanted 75% of their roster to qualify to play for France. But when they first came into the competition, they were actually exempt from relegation for three years. They actually went straight into Super League and they were exempt from relegation for three years. And in their first year, they finished bottom of the pile. Um, Boys, can we unpack, uh, if you like, let's call it a review of Catalan's first uh, two decades in Super League or first decade and a half. I'll start with you, Carlo. Well, I think it's I think it's been really well managed, to be honest. I think uh, <clears throat> even though it was uh, very heavy in the early parts with a lot of um, Australians uh, and Kiwis, I think they had a plan that they knew that they were going to transition into into more domestic players, and they've done that. Uh, I think again, I think I think it's been well managed, and, and again, the results at the start weren't weren't great, but they, they've gone on and won a Challenge Cup. You know, they. I, I believe that they've been successful. So I, mm. I, I think it's been, I think it's been a, a, a really good news story and a uh, a blueprint on how to do expansion correctly. But again, well, even though we've had some good success with it, we've never then unpacked it, or we've never we've never done the, done it the same again. We'll go, oh, we'll we'll do it. We'll go here for 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 a year or two, uh, but we won't create any participation. And do you know what? That's not working. So we'll pull out. The damage Dean, when you pull out, you don't you don't get that you don't get that trust factor again. Dean, I assume you agree with Carlo. It's been quite successful. Yeah, but um, you could understand why. It's, you know, so you, you talked about that. Well, that was going to be my next question. Why? Why? Let's unpack it. Yeah. Well, first of all, we talked about mergers. Now they're not successful. Well, what were the size of those two clubs that merged? You know, they weren't particularly impressive clubs with massive fan bases. You know, we've, we've already mentioned. Uh, French rugby league does not have massive followings um, in terms of fans outside of uh, the English teams. Um, an example of that was I went to Toulouse um, for the semi-final when Toulouse played Featherstone. And you're talking about a semi-final um, to get to a final that enters Super League. There was about a 1,000 people there. Mm. Uh, that's not that impressive, is it? No, um, not- but why no. it's been successful is... You know, outside of that, you've had the club, the Catalan Dragons, the French Federation, the governing body of France, the RFL, the competition them going in, all working together to make it successful. All the parts working in unison. So, yeah, Catalan were given really big advantages by the French Federation. And forget the rights and wrongs of that in terms of whether they should have been allowed to to sign people for free from other French clubs, whether they should have had the relegation exemption, because they were given those things. And those things allowed it to get through those first few years and start to flourish. So my point is, when you have a new expansion club, it doesn't matter if that expansion club is in Spain, France, Italy, Serbia, because Red Star have mentioned about being interested in going into League One now. You've got to have all the parts working in unison to make it successful. Mm. The um, Carlo, I'm going to ask you. Bear in mind, we've just said that 
British Rugby League or English Rugby League probably needs to look in its own backyard before trying to expand. How do you feel when you see Lee instead of Toronto in the fixtures list in Super League? Well, to be totally honest, mate, I was never a big fan of uh, Toronto being in the Super League. Uh, personally, I, I, I just, I, I just, I, I thought if you're gonna if you're gonna expand the game uh, and you've got a person with a lot of money, well, then really, why doesn't you not plough it into into Canada and, and then obviously get the game growing there? It was evident with the the the, the fans that they had that there's potentially interest in there. But again, I've never been a big fan. So to answer your question, I think Lee uh, are, a, are a foundation club. Or they're, a, they're a historic club. Um, you know, had mixed results um, in the Super League previously when they were in there. But they, if they, if they can, if they can manage to stay in there and, and do a good job, then they, then I believe that they should stay there. Dean, why have so many expansion efforts failed in Super League? I mean, I'm not. I've not been in the room. I've not been in the conversation. Mm. So it's really, really hard. We're looking at all these from the outside in, and we don't know the nitty gritty. Um, I just come back to Catalan Dragons, where everybody worked together. But there's another French expansion club, Toulouse. Okay, don't forget that Toulouse went into the championship, but they left the championship for a number of years, didn't they? And then they went back into League One because something wasn't working with Toulouse. And then they went back into League One and then they've got back up to championship level. And now they're one of the strongest clubs in the championship. And I think it's just, and I'm repeating it and repeating it and repeating it, it's everybody working in unison um, is what can make a successful expansion club. Can't believe you're saying that on a rugby league podcast, everyone working in unison and and rugby league in the same sentence. Can I just add that? Just one second. Sorry. What we're saying is, we always start with this expansion starts with England. Why does it start? Why could you only expand into England? You, you've made the point that um, some of the French teams have really big budgets. Then I would imagine, I would imagine Red Star have got a decent budget. I would imagine, well, I know that Valencia or Canis have a decent high budget, and there'll be other clubs, maybe teams in Norway, that could have a decent budget. Why does everything start with? Super League, ABC Super League. Yeah, I agree. Can I ask you both to get your crystal balls out, gents? Um, um, Only one ball each, though, Carlo. Um, What's European Rugby League going to look like in 10 years from the prism of leagues, i.e. Billy Jones or Jane Jones is playing Rugby League in England and they want to play professionally or at a high level. I think it's fair to say, as things stand right now, your options are fly all the way to Australia or you try and crack Super League, Championship, Championship 1 kind of thing, right? You may get on the boat or plane and head to play for a bit of money in France. What in 10, 20 years are we going to see? What are the options going to be? Carlo, I'll start with you. Godly, that's a. That, that, you know what? That's a more difficult question than you, than you probably think. It's uh, it, again, it all comes down to what the direction, what what the administration, how, um, you know, 
Oh, it's a, it's a difficult one that because for me personally, I want to see every country in Europe. Yeah, what would you like have to a see? very successful what would you like to see rather than? Yeah, all right. Yeah, I I would like I would like every country in Europe to have a successful domestic competition. Now, if there are standouts of those competitions on a regular basis, then yeah, you can think about well, listen, we might need to move into another country competition because the standard of competition is a little bit higher. And that should, in my eyes, that's the only reason why you should, you should be going into another country. But the fact of the matter is I, I just want, I want rugby league to be successful in every country rather than, you know, be, be consistently strong, have more than five teams consistently for, for year in, year out for the next 10 years. You know, that's, that's, that's the goal because if we get that, then we are truly, truly getting a global, global sport. Dean, your crystal ball or your what you'd like to see? Look, it depends on the the direction from the administration. Um, there's been lots of efforts from lots of people in, in countries, and again, they haven't worked. Um, let's just pick on Red Star, for example. Red Star have been relatively successful. Um, they're stuck in a Serbian league, which isn't very strong, let's be honest, because they've got all the best players. Um, they then decided that they wanted to come and try and play in the Challenge Cup, and they, I mean, they got their answer about how good they were hammered, against, they? Uh, a, against a community club. They got hammered, um, Well, maybe they got a reminder of, you know, the difference <laughs> in class between England and, and the rest of Europe. Um and there's nothing wrong with no. that as well, Dean, is there? You know, having no. a reality check is good. No, having a reality check is good. But, you know, the point is, would Red Star make a really good expansion club into League One? Well, no. based on my conversation with Colin Clivick, their match day revenue is around €300. Euros. Um, so I would say that is not a basis for an expansion club. No. Um, I'm biased, obviously, with Valencia Hurricane. But, you know, you can see the mass number of expats, the appeal of people coming to Spain. You can, you can explain where the revenue is going to come from. Um, but in terms of what does the sport look like in 10 years? Well, it depends because 10 years ago, did anybody think that North American clubs would be coming into European leagues? No. no. Three years ago, did anyone think that there'd be a Spanish club um, trying to sign Ben Barber and Super League players? No. No. Things can change in an instant. But I think what I want is, if, the, if we say that the RFL are the leaders of the game in, North, in the Northern Hemisphere, which they are, and the French are their assistant, technically, because they're the two strong leagues, mm. let's have some everybody working in unity to conquer England, conquer France, conquer Spain, conquer Italy, because at the minute we haven't conquered anywhere in Europe. No. The English, the English haven't conquered no. England. The French haven't conquered France. And, you know, then you've got sm much, much smaller nations like Spain. And even success stories like Serbia and Ukraine are held up. They haven't conquered their countries and they haven't commercialised their leagues. And until we commercialise our sport, there'll be people in 10 years on a podcast talking about where does the game go in 10 years. <laughs> about, 
expansion not working. I hope we've got more. I hope we've got more content than that. I hope we've got more content than that because me and Carlo are going to be still going in 10, 20 years, aren't we, mate? <laughs> yeah. And... Well, I am. <laughs> You're listening to episode three, season two of the Rugby League Europe podcast with me, Lee Addison, my psychic sidekick. Carlo Napolitano and our new recruit to the team, Dean Buchan, who also happens to be one of the brains behind what I believe is the most exciting expansion project that's been discussed, Euro 13. So is that not the expansion that we're looking for? I'll throw that straight to you, Dean. Uh, Yeah, I mean, if you want to call it expansion, I mean, most of the clubs are not new, uh, but in terms of playing in a combined league, because like, like, Carlos said, you know, the, the dream is that everyone has a strong domestic league in Europe. Um, that's not the case. You know, you look at lots of different countries, they're struggling for games. Um, and so Euro 13s is all about these teams growing together, player development, uh, increased awareness, um, building fan bases, building commercial opportunities together. Um but it's not expansion as people imagine it because people, you know, ABC Super League. These clubs are not thinking about Super League. These clubs are thinking about slow, small, sustainable growth. Um, and it is an exciting project, isn't it? I mean, you know, Valencia are playing Copenhagen, Dublin, Brussels. You can't tell me they're not exciting games uh, just in terms of locations and destinations. Um so we don't really know what possibilities that's going to open up long term. But if we're successful, you know, if we're successful, then, um, yeah, we could be having a very, very different conversation in 10 years, couldn't we? Well, yeah, when you look at your crystal ball, I would assume, Carlo, Euro 13 has to be front and centre of it. And to me, and I'm going to actually <coughs> agree with this statement, that if those Euro 13 clubs that, if you like, are community clubs, but in different countries. If they gain a higher profile through Euro 13s, if bigger players end up going to those clubs as a result of that, I would say that's almost disruptive expansion. Instead of going, okay, we're going to plonk a club there and we're going to grow it, what you've actually done is took a taken a horizontal approach to it. You're making the current clubs bigger via a different model of, of, of playing. Do you, do you concur with that, Carlo, and, and how do you see it all unfolding? Yeah, listen, I, I've been a massive supporter of the Euro 13s. I think it's refreshing. Uh, I've always said that. I think it's also giving pathways and opportunity to, to a lot of players uh, and coaches and administrators. I, I, again, I, I look at the Euro 13s and will it look the same in, uh, after five years of the competition you know, I, I, you could look at a, like a champion, a Champions League in soccer kind of model. You know, where where the strongest team goes through, or it becomes a representative of that league, and and then you're able to to play. I, I just think there's so many advantages, or there's so many different positions in which way it could go. I just think it's really exciting. You know, I but, think it's. But you know, that's the point that you know, Lee. Some of the some of the clubs won't be successful. Some of the clubs will fall by the wayside because that's the nature of every sport. You know, whether you look at football, rugby, cricket, it doesn't matter what you look at, Formula One, teams come and teams go. That will always be the truth, the essential truth. But the 
probably a bad expression, the cream rises to the top. But the you know, the, the successful franchises, they rise, don't they, in the case of say Catland Dragons. So we're just giving those teams a platform and those countries a platform uh, to to be successful, whereas they probably don't have it. But this, I, I keep coming back to this point. You know, it's not expansion doesn't start with England. You've got an Albanian team playing in Greece. That's expansion. It's expanding. Mm. All that expansion is is having a new club in an area, um, either coming into creation and joining a, a domestic league or a big club from another area joining another league. And that happens every single day around Europe. And meanwhile, in around Europe, including England, clubs fold because yeah. not everyone can be successful in business. You know, not everyone's successful in any walk of life you're not always successful. So clubs will always come and go. That will happen. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Euro 13s, once we get COVID out of the way, is an enormous opportunity to grow the game in Europe. You know, obviously I believe that, otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. I think the the, the thing that comes to my mind too when we talk about all these expansion things, and we've been talking about France quite a lot, Carlo, in this podcast i just get visions of of when i've played or coached overseas in europe and you get what the player and the coach gets is a different brand of playing the game because every country has its own unique way of doing things sometimes different languages i remember being in france and you know you know the markers you know the cones that you put down yeah of course interludes interludes they were the size of the seat on a chair for some reason i don't know why right i've never seen them before or since when I was with the USA in France, we couldn't get a bus to turn around a corner because the roads were so small. We actually all had to get out and move a car. We literally, 25 of us, moved a car about four inches just so the bus could go through. <laughs> um, I remember being in Russia and there being no hot water till September or October because they were saving hot water for the winter. So we had to have showers uh, that were cold and not very powerful. These are just things that add to the rich, ta- rich tapestry of rugby league life, aren't they? And I'm sure you've got some great stories, Carlo, too, of playing overseas or coaching overseas. Yeah, and I think that's why we, we, we do it. I think, um, you know, we're very proud of our sport. and we're, You know, the sport of rugby league is a vessel and we all contribute to, to that. Uh, and again, the, the early days in Italy... It was, it, yeah. You wouldn't think twice of coming off a twenty-four hour flight from Australia to Italy, being picked up, and then not even going to your digs, going straight to a ground and doing a two-hour session, two sessions mm-hmm. an hour each. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's the way it was. And then they would want to take you out for dinner. You, you know, you've, you've, they're the things that you needed to do. The media commitments, you know. Um, you know, interviews. Uh, just it was, it, it was what you had to do. It was a grind. We was there for six weeks, and it wasn't even the World Cup. It was leading into two thousand and six, uh, two thousand and seven, where there wasn't, there still wasn't, uh, a still a big buzz about rugby league. You know, so no matter what you've achieved, it was all forgotten. You you had to go back to the basics, and I think that was that was that was a really special time, and uh, and we all. I think the stories of of us all being in a dorm and you know and snoring and people not sleeping and you know the fun <laughs> that came with it you know is timeless. 
And I think everyone has that opportunity to 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 be a part of that. And Euro Euro thirteens gives them that opportunity too. Dean, what are people going to be saying about um, rugby league in Spain? What sort of individual uh, charismatic sort of quirks are going to be involved in Spanish rugby league? What what are they going to bring to the table? Is it going to be a certain flair, a certain style, or the <laughs> is the water situation different? The lavatories, whatever it may be, what 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 is what is your average English person or rugby league player going to say when they've played a team in Spain in the Euro 13s? Well, I don't know about the showers. I mean, we have cold showers in the summer just because it's so flipping hot. <laughs> um, so we choose cold showers rather than not being allowed them. Mm. Lee, you know the answers to this question because we brought you in as head of performance and we were specific to mm. our Spanish coaches. We put Spanish guys in, in, in yeah. and we want a Spanish style. Um I don't know how that will compare. Well, I guess we'll see. That's really early days because ever since you've become head of performance, you've been locked down. So I don't know if you're just yeah. really unlucky for Spain or what. Um, yeah, my fault. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but you know, going back to this, the, just going back to this point, you know, how do we get rugby league to be successful in Europe? Well, in Spain, it will be successful if everybody pulls together, which they're doing. Mm. Same in Italy, same in Greece, same in Albania or wherever you are. But also Euro 13s, it needs everyone to pull together. You know, if the, if the powers that be want to reject it and cause problems, then that will affect Euro 13s. If the powers that be want to get behind and support it, then that will positively affect Euro 13s. Um, if a new French club goes into England or a Spanish club goes into France or an Italian club or a Croatian club goes into to Malta, it doesn't really matter. You need all the parts to be working in unison for rugby league to grow in any country, whether it be the south of England or wherever. Um, and the sad, the sad thing, probably to sum up this whole conversation, I don't see that happening currently in the game. I don't see the unison within the game. I don't Dean, I've not seen it happen for at least five, if not seven years. So I, I totally agree with you. Like this isn't the, even though we've got our own teams, we we are still a sport for everyone. And until we get our head out of our asses, um that's that's the way it's always going to be. You know Russia yeah, it's a big in about 2001, there was a Student World Cup there, staged in Kazan, from memory. They were reporting crowds of between fifteen and 20,000. They were just blown away by this sport. When you used to see those things, when you saw the pictures and heard the anecdotes, you thought it only a matter of time. And that suggests Please. to me that there has Is been that- a... If that was true, it wouldn't be on its backside now, would it? There was pictures, Dean. So there were people, and I think that school kids went there, for example. So, and, and I suppose when you're in different parts of different parts of the world, sometimes that event can be the biggest thing in that community that they've seen. Um, some of the places I've coached rugby league, just doing a coaching session, 
was seen as a big event in that in that town, and people came from everywhere. So, I've I saw the pictures and I heard the anecdotes. You know, the reality is ten thousand was probably five thousand or three thousand or something. I don't know, but the the reality is there was a a an interest in it. And then you but fast forward, me, then you fast you forward nearly twenty years, and you think it's like that question you just said, Dean. Like, did it happen? And it wouldn't be in a mess, but there's other factors. Yeah, but, yeah, but also, also with that though, Lee. Again, if if the ball is rolling, yeah, and uh, and what did they say? Uh, a rolling rock um, uh, gathers no moss. Yeah, yeah. As soon as the momentum stops, everything yeah. stops. Momentum's a key. So if thing, it was yeah. successful, and yet the plans weren't in place, the planning, the funding the development plan, if there was none of that and it was like, do you know next year it'll be just as good as this year yeah. on, a, on, a, on a wish and a whim, I'll guarantee you the, the momentum will stop yeah. and everything, no matter what you've done previously, will, will fall yeah. apart. And it'll take Lee, a lifetime to, to turn it back. I, I'm not saying you've not seen photos. What I'm saying is you can see you can get see a photo of a crowd, but there might be a story behind it as to why yeah. those people were there. Yeah. Now, I find it really hard to believe that. And, I, and we know that you know, rugby league was quite popular in, in Russia and it was quite successful back in the day and they had teams entering the Challenge Cup. But we're now talking about Russia putting news stories out saying thank you to community clubs in England for second-hand kit because it allows them to play. Uh, different different, uh, different organisers, though, I think. I think the yeah. money map who but, used to be involved is not there anymore. No, but, but my point, the point being is if you've really got, you know, five, ten, fifteen thousand people who love this sport and are going crazy for it, it's hard to believe you'd ever get to the point that you have to get donations of kit to play a game. Do you, do you see my point? I do, but also I want you to see my point in that Kazan is about a 15-hour drive away from Moscow and back in those days we're pretty much pre-internet weren't we then or if it was it was on a blue cable kind of thing and making a lot of noise when you dialed in it, it the moscow and kazana were totally isolated from each other unless you were going to do a, a drive down and i did it in 2003 on a bus and it was a deserted road for 15 hours so you know it, it okay clicked. i mean it, it's not quite that bad but don't forget barcelona to mallorca is 10 hours yeah you yeah, know, but there's, and, there's and, different and it, different infrastructures, isn't there, in Spain and Russia? Well, we've got um, roads, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but but what I'm trying to say is, it's still a ten hour drive yeah. to play a game of rugby or to watch your team. Yeah, um, I, I I think what would have happened at this World Cup is they marketed it as a World Cup. Schools and the like jumped on board, but like you said, there was no follow up. So, and and the mo the most modern version of that lack of follow up to me was the New Camp game, Catalans versus Wigan. Where was the follow-up? Why, well, why have we not got fans in Barcelona jumping out of of the of the seats trying to get a rugby league game? And I suppose that's over to you, Dean, because Barcelona's in Spain. But um, well, well, the answer the answer is that unison and working together that we keep correct. talking about. Look, the Catalan Dragons have a really good relationship with Barcelona because they're called Catalan, mm. Right? Mm. Um, and people there are very very passionate about being Catalan. Mm -hmm. um, but to my knowledge the French Federation didn't work with the Spanish Association 
to put something as a legacy to that match. And Catalan haven't just played that one game in Barcelona. They've played at the Olympic Stadium in Barcelona. They've played a few different matches. Mm. And I think, again, I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, the people within the Spanish Asociación, they weren't part of that process. They didn't put things and be going into schools and thinking about how do we, how do we take this further? And that's why I keep saying that no matter where you're going to do rugby, uh, rugby league, um, you have to have everyone working in unison. So to my knowledge, Albania, um, the governing body of Albania Rugby League and the governing body of Greece Rugby League are working together for the Albanian team to be in the Greek League. That allows it the opportunity to be more successful than it otherwise could be. But um, I don't know what happened with the France and Italy story uh, with Saluto uh, Roosters. But obviously, that rugby league, that rugby league club now doesn't even exist. It's a rugby union club. It's completely yeah, disappeared. And that's, and that's what I mean. It's it's great when it goes ahead, but the the bigger picture is it's doubly as sad when it fails. Mm. And why does it fail? We've had so many of these failure stories, but yet they're, they're still happening. Like we've got you... to be, we've got to be better. We've got to be better than that. We need that unison and we need the follow-up. Unison, yeah. work in well, unison well, and we the follow-up. We need the plan. And the we plan, need strategy. The execution and the persistence. And we need, you need strategy. You need the balls. Yeah, yeah you need the balls to, to, to see the lows and, and not when it gets hard. You just throw the towel in. You've know, you got you to show a bit of persistence. Boys, we're going to have to bid everyone au revoir because we're running out of time. Um, oh, good show, right. lads. Good show. Oh, why are we not megastars around the world? Our social media details are the RLE podcast at Twitter, RLE podcast at Instagram, and the Rugby League Europe podcast on ask Facebook. Ask us a question. If you're listening, ask us a question. Um, Dean, say goodbye to us in Spanish, please. Hello, Chico. I'll say it in French. Au revoir. Can I just say as well the name oh. Luke Lacoste? What a great name. That is a movie star name. My name's Luke Lacoste. <laughs> Uh, it's a cracking. Do you know what? I, I, can I just add though? I, I'm, I'm, I hope he, he, get, he, he actually sees through everything that he's promised because I'm telling you, the French have been a sleeping giant for far too long. And um, yeah, I just hope he goes well. And I will say, Ciao, Grazie.